Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today we hear from Jason Mazza, Chief Executive of Unstoppable Film and TV, about his partnership with actor Noel Clarke and the all three media-backed company's new drama, The Drowning, for the UK's Channel 5. And Nancy Glass, Chief Executive of US Indie Glass Entertainment, on her new CNN documentary series about Abraham Lincoln. With the launch of Unstoppable Film and TV in 2018, actors and producers Jason Mazza and Noel Clarke set out to create cinematic storytelling by working with new and unheard voices. Backed by all three media, the firm is behind series including Sky buddy cop drama Bulletproof and now new four-part thriller The Drowning, which debuts on the UK's Channel 5 today. Mazza spoke to Michael Pickard about the company's strategy – its development process and how it tackled the COVID-19 pandemic, which interrupted filming on its latest show, but meant it was also one of the first to return to production last summer. So, I mean, Jason, thank you for joining us. Just give us a bit of background to to Unstoppable um, and and your partnership with uh, Noel Clark, who you've obviously founded the company with and and worked very closely with over the last few years. Yes, so Unstoppable, um, in in one way, it's been around for a lot of years. It was formed in the the sort of first incarnation of it, as you like, was, was 2009 was its first credit on a film called Adulthood. I wasn't at the company at the time. Um, Noel had, had started it, but we we sort of came together a few years later by a mutual friend uh, and spent sort of our early years in the film world, making a lot of independent movies. Uh, and I think, you know, in every partnership, you know, very clearly, very early on, knew that we had sort of very aligned in our goals and our ambitions. And then like a lot of people a few years ago, really felt like actually we wanted to move into the TV space and got introduced to all three media, the brilliant people over there. Yeah, and basically all three were really excited about what we were doing as a company, the, the stories that we wanted to tell, the sort of talent that we were working with um and so and so because it's all three and because of all of, of how those deals work we sort of started again we kept the unstoppable brand but relaunched rebranded went again and, and called it unstoppable film uh, and television and yeah and sort of now are very much in the television world we're still doing a little bit of, of film but really sort of emerged in this tv space and 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 loving it and so you know when you i guess relaunched the company with the the tv bit in the title i mean what were your kind of ambitions at that outset and and how have you know being backed by a company such as all three how has that kind of i guess supercharged those ambitions yeah i mean me and noel are super ambitious uh you know anyone who knows us knows that we you know we work hard and we've got you know great goals but i think it to be honest it was sort of starting again in that in the tv space because we didn't really know anyone we'd, we'd done a bit of work in tv as, and obviously as actors we'd met people but we'd spent so much time in the film world and, and knew everyone in that space and had a reputation we did definitely feel like it was a case of, of starting again and you know allow commissioners and, and channels to sort of trust us and so yeah I mean the goals were to make as, as many TV shows as possible but also make TV shows that were going to stand out and I think that we have started doing that um, with our early shows you know being involved in Bulletproof that's just such a show that sort of typifies the type of work that we that we want to do the writers that we're getting to work with on, on all of these shows the talent the new voices the freshness you know we love to make big noisy shows we want to sort of make shows that other TV companies are not making we're definitely going to be brave in our choices and we're not always going to get it right but I think as part of that ambition to sort of make TV shows and be successful is that we want to push the boundaries where possible we want to tell stories that perhaps other people are too nervous or a bit afraid to tell and that's what excites us as, 
as, as creatives. And, and do you find there's the appetite, I guess, on the on the other side, on the broadcasting side? I mean, there's so many different places now to sell stories. I mean, do you find there are those appetites there to take on these new, fresh stories and, and fresh voices that you are obviously wanting to work with? It's a, it's a really good question because I think, you know, there's no denying that the broadcasters and the commissions are getting better. You know, I know sometimes they come under, you know, criticism, but I think, you know, that has to be said that they are, you know, taking more choices. They are, you know, aware that for, for, for a long while they've not been telling all the different variations of, of stories and they are willing to take more chances. That said, it's still tough. Like we know when we take the ideas that, that we're presenting forward, that we're coming at it fresh. And whenever you come at ending with fresh new ideas, there's always going to be a hesitance because it's not been done before. Again, Bulletproof is another a great example of that. It's the first time in the UK, really, that you've had two black male leads in a TV show that are not playing, for example, drug dealers. You know, Noel talks about this. Noel Clark, my business partner, talks about this a lot. And, and that was why that show was really important to us, about putting two black men on screen in a positive light. And, we you know, 2018, I think it was, and for the first time for that to happen, which is mad. But yeah, so they are being better for sure. You know, we're lucky that we're building the relationships, we're building those trusts. But I'm not going to lie and say they're easy because whenever you're doing something that's a new and, you know, what feels fresh and feels risky, there's always going to be those challenges to get to get it across the line. And and so can you tell us a bit about, I guess, just the, the development process of the company, where you're finding the new writers that you're working with and, and how you're bringing those projects forward? Yeah, so our development process, I suppose it's similar to, to, to other companies in that we, again, this was something that we had to build from scratch, is that building those relationships with agents and sort of we made it very clear from very early that we wanted to work with new talent, which we've been doing a lot of, which again poses a lot of different challenges, but at the same time is unbelievably exciting. We also still have an open door policy where people can literally email us their scripts uh, and it will get covered and get fed back on. And and so I think, you know, we're really proud of the fact that we do that. I mean, me and Nola from very sort of humble backgrounds. And I think we understand how hard it is to get your break. And that's why we're really, we're always trying to, to, to find those, that new talent, that undiscovered talent and give them, give them a shot, give them the opportunity. That's what, you know, we all want. And so, and so, yeah. And, and so, you know, the traditional way with the agents, but also always on the lookout for new talent. I also think we've become a little bit of a hub for acting talent. And so we're getting, you know, definitely actors that are coming to the company going, look, we've, I've got this idea. I love acting, but actually there's a story that I want to tell. Can you facilitate that? And I think because we have that part of us, I think they, there's a trust there. And I think there's a sort of, a, they know that we're going to have their backs when you get up in that sort of commissioning process, which can be quite tough. So, so yeah, so they're sort of our three remits, really. Things are tricky at the moment with, with COVID going on. But I mean, how do you just look at the production um, sector and, and the challenges that you face, you know, making TV? What are, what are some of the, the considerations you need to make now to get something onto screen? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I think initially when COVID hit, you know, I think there was a number of companies and, and our, us ourselves looked at this and sort of said, well, are there stories that we can tell that are contained and that we could shoot really quickly? And I think there was a, you know, a sort of couple of attempts at that that were sort of fairly successful. But actually, once you get through that and you, you're going through that right now, actually, people just want to be entertained. And so weirdly, yes, there are a lot of practical elements to shooting. And we we obviously shot The Drowning. We started pre-COVID. We stood down. We had to go back and, and finish it. And it was a very obviously different shoot when we picked back up. But actually, 
actually there's been so many so much great work done by so many people that actually there's a lot of protocols in place and it actually there's obviously it's tough and there's there's lots of challenges but it can be done and so i think for us currently we're still looking at shows and it's how can we still achieve maximum entertainment value how can we without going oh we need to make it really contained and we have to make it you know be really small casts and stuff and, and so i'm not saying that you know it's gung-ho and just go for it but at the same time i definitely don't want to limit us our shows and the entertainment that we're offering i just want us to make the best shows we can and as i say such a nimble profession such a nimble industry that we've been able to make it work and make it as absolutely as safe as it can be to actually continue shooting in this crazy time and, and we've seen um you know sky here with obviously the third season of, of bulletproof it's set in south africa i mean are you as a company looking internationally at projects or are you kind of of the feeling that what is a local show will travel because it you know is the universal themes at the heart of it what's your kind of approach to that i guess considering all three who are a huge distributor in their own right uh, are obviously working with you yeah i think well i mean funny enough we shot the drowning in ireland not quite the same as, as south africa but yeah we you know so we've actually done a number of and obviously in season two of bulletproof we shot in amsterdam and malta and um not going to give too much away but the next season of bulletproof which has been announced we've got two very exciting destinations that, that we're shooting but i think the great thing about tv now is it's so global that actually if you've got a, even if you've got a very british story but it works setting it somewhere else and the filming uh, sort of you know co-production partners that you've got the production services all around the world now are so strong that for us it's like if it makes sense for the show and it adds something interesting creatively then absolutely um we're, we're open open to it and you know it's just exciting it's nice isn't it if you can get away and start filming in another in another part of the world and and do you think about how show the shows you're making will play overseas to overseas audiences or is that not something that you think of i guess in, as a first port of call but if it's a nice bonus and it sells well then great no no we do actually it's, it's quite i think it's quite important to us probably because we come from a film background and that we're always we're used to looking at our our sort of movies in a globally facing way for us that's really that's really important whether it's cast or whether it's visually or or, or both but you know bulletproof i think is one of the only british shows ever to be sold to the cw network and i think there's very clear reasons why the, the way that it looks the, the tone of it the the color palettes the action sequences you know it feels very big very cinematic almost what you call american but at the heart of it very british which is what i love about it and you know that's definitely our sort of our sort of feeling uh, even the drowning it's a very british story but the way that it's been shot i'm really proud of it and i think it looks incredibly cinematic really big in scale and hopefully you know that show will will go go all around the world so yeah that's that for me is one of our our most exciting parts really of this sort of creative process in producing these shows is that love that they're british stories love that we're working with amazing british talent but just you know let's make sure these shows are seen globally yeah so for sure and and you know you mentioned the, the drowning which um will be on channel five stripped across four evenings which is an interesting talking point in itself but i mean can you just introduce us to the story because it's a proper thriller that tell us a bit about what viewers can expect yeah it, you know the story centers around um jody played by the brilliant sort of your half your half penny her character um you find out has sort of lost a son nine years ago and what was assumed was that the child drowned there was at this huge huge lake everyone sort of lost attention for sort of mere moments the child went missing they say they they assumed that the child drowned but never was conclusive never found the body but that was what everyone felt had happened and then nine years later she's driving to a pitch meeting and suddenly is just absolutely stopped in her tracks and she sees his child same hair same scar under the eye and it just has chills and it's just that moment of that's my son uh, and we follow her on this journey to sort of try and uncover the truth and it's absolutely 
the edge of your seat. You don't know telling the truth. You don't know what to believe. You don't know whether the boy is her son. What you just don't know what's going on. But I think yeah, it's a really great story. Really thrilling. Really exciting. As I say, hopefully it'll keep the audience on the edge of their seat. And and yeah, and stripped across like you said four nights. So it's a quick. You're gonna watch it, get it done in a week, and hopefully it's gonna be a really entertaining and talked about piece. How did you come to that project then? Because it's, it's a very different project to, to Bulletproof in terms of genre and, and style and tone. So how did that come across your desk? And, and I guess, how does that sum up what Unstoppable is in terms of the range of projects you're into? So, um, yeah, so The Drowning came to us um, as a movie uh, and I read the, read the film and it was brilliant. But I just felt like in the film, the characters, we just, we touched on them, but there was a lot more to be explored. And and so it just felt right. That actually, this could be a really amazing four-parter. And luckily for me, the writers were like, yep, we're down for it. We get it. We see it. And so we developed it uh, uh, as a, as a four-parter. It really, really worked. And then I think for us, it was about, okay, this is potentially on, on, on the surface and on paper, this is like a traditional show. Where's the unstoppable stamp? And I think that comes from the cinematic nature of the show. And, and as it goes on, the episodes get bigger and bigger in scale. And by the time you get to episode four, it's, it's like a movie. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. And then it was, you know, working for a channel that have been doing exceptionally well in drama over the last few years, but are still new to it. Well, how do we bring them one of the biggest casts that they've ever had? And I think, you know, with the cast that we've got, you know, if this was on any other channel, you would have been thrilled with that. You know, Jill Halfpenny, Rupert Penry Jones, Deborah Finley, Jonas Armstrong, all of whom have led shows on the other channels. And you've got four of them. And so I think even Channel 5 were a bit blown away by the sort of size and, and, and scale of that. And so I think that was our way uh, of doing that. And hopefully that's also going to, you know, we'll get the results in the ratings as well, which ultimately is what it's about, as many people seeing the show as, as possible. So, so yeah, even when we do stuff that is slightly more traditional, we always want to raise the scale of it and the size of the ambition of it. And I think we've done that with The Drowning. I mean, can you just talk a bit more about, I guess, that that writing process, turning a 90-page script perhaps into four-hour-long episodes and obviously the, the hooks that you need at each episode, uh, at each ad break on, on Channel 5, because it's obviously advertiser-funded. I mean, can you talk a bit about just how you turn one into the other? Because it's something that happens you know i guess fairly regularly a pitch for a movie becomes a tv show so what's the, the practicalities of doing that yeah it's uh, it's tougher than you think because <laughs> I, I think the writers go well this is going to be easy because we've got this is almost two episodes so uh, but what you quickly find is that most of it is all going to go uh, and really is about starting again, plotting through, taking, well, what do we love about this story? What are the things that we feel could be explored more? What are the things that we like? So, you know, Jodie, for example, you know, what, what are we missing? What are the moments that we didn't quite get to see in the movie? Uh, and so what we did in The Drowning was, you know, work out all of that beautiful stuff that we love. What was really important to us about the story? What what hooked us in on the original version? But then you start plotting it out every episode, you know, so you beat sheet basically. This is episode one. And again, like you say, because you're doing it for TV, you've got to keep that audience engaged. You know, you've got to, you know, five minutes, what's your, what's your hook? Why am I going to carry on watching this show? Why do I like my characters? What's the story? Is it, is it bringing me in? And, you know, maintaining that the whole way through. Um, and that can take a lot, a long time because if you go away, write the scripts too early and you've missed moments and you've missed beats and you've missed plot lines, then it can be an absolute nightmare. Uh, and actually, you know, Channel 5 liked the idea pretty early and we didn't have masses amount of time. So we had to get it right 
right. So so for us, it was deconstructing the script, plotting out each episode as, as almost beats, bullet points, making sure that everyone was happy and confident that we were hitting everything we needed to. And then we went away and, and, and wrote the scripts. Tell us a bit about the production process because you decided to film in Ireland. You're on a Channel 5 drama budget, which I think we can safely assume won't be um, of the level of other broadcasters or streaming platforms. And, and then obviously you're, you're hit by COVID. So what? how was that whole experience for you, getting the show off the ground and then having to restart again later in later last year? Yeah, as you can imagine, uh, not the easiest, <laughs> not the easiest. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you say, Channel 5 are brilliant, but definitely don't have the budgets of the other channels. And so, again, that's something that I'm just on a side note, I'm really proud of the fact that I think Unstoppable, because we come from that independent filmmaking process, we know very astutely how to push the money on screen as much as possible. We were very, very lucky getting to shoot in Ireland, A, because they've got an incredible tax credit that is very helpful over there, but also just in terms of cinematically, the vistas that they have there, the sort of different locations that they have all almost in a sort of 40 minute radius is unbelievable you could never do that in London like we never could have shot the drowning and it would have been impossible but you know we've got as I say huge lake location which just on genuinely just blows your mind it's stunning and then you're 20 minutes from a really busy town or housing estate or whatever you need and all of the locations look beautiful I don't feel like you've seen many of them on TV and so actually shooting in Ireland was a really key part of making the show work and then like you say it's pulling on all of those skills and those lessons that, that, that we'd learned from doing independent movie and bringing them into the TV show. So for example, simple things like, you know, making sure that you've not got, you know, locations that are miles spread out and that you can keep the unit base close and keeping all of the costs down. And then, you know, you get through it, it's all going incredibly well. And then you get hit with COVID, you know, and, it, and again, that was just, uh, I mean, unbelievably frustrating and unbelievably tough. We sort of stood down, but I was very keen and very aware that I just felt like we had to get up shooting as quickly as possible because if for some reason we were not one of the first shows to go back up and I think we were the first show in Ireland to, to go back up we had an amazing cast they're going to get busy in other jobs and then you're going to get in that scary scenario whereby I don't know when we're finishing the show because you know Jade Anuka's booked for six months on his dark materials or Jonas is on another TV show and then it just it is a mess so you know once we stood back took a moment then I, with a team we got together via Zoom which is like look you know doing every, everything we can and doing it safely we need to get back and you know we're lucky that we had the support of Channel 5 support of all three that helped us out uh, we had a great Great, great production team over there uh, and the cast who were equally keen to get back uh, including Deborah, who's in that sort of vulnerable category because of her age, but she's just like, yeah, let's just do it. Just amazing. And yeah, and then coming back as one of the first, you know, teams in Ireland, probably in the UK as well, to start shooting again. So many eyes on us to make sure that we didn't make any mistakes, to make sure that we were, you know, doing everything properly, everything safely. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure. We went back for three, three and a half weeks. And honestly, every day I'd get to the end of, the, you know, I was out there and I'd get to the end of the day and set, and it just was just a relief to go, okay, you know, 17 days to go and then it would be like 16 days and every day just felt massive um, but we were just really lucky you know no COVID no COVID cases when we went back everyone felt safe um, everyone had a great time you know as much as you could because it was a very strange uh, sort of shooting scenario but the work was amazing and, and we got it in the, in, in the bag and yeah I mean it feels like a lifetime ago now but very fortunate and very lucky to get through that whole sort of experience Did, did you have to um, look at the scripts and revise any particular scenes or you know crowd scenes or intimate scenes maybe 
things that you know you probably couldn't do right at that start of getting back into production yes there was a few again very very lucky that if it would have been you know the whole shoot it would have been an absolute nightmare but because we'd already shot a lot we'd done loads of the school stuff which had a lot of extras and so actually just a funeral scene which you know we only minimal minimal people all spaced out i think you get away with it now that i flagged it everybody be like waiting for the for the funeral scene um but i think i think we get away with away with it but that was really tough uh, and I think there may have been one or two others positionings of where Deborah could be in terms of relation to everyone else and Cody our lead boy who's fantastic but again because he was I think 15 there were certain certain things that we were very careful of so so yeah but but luckily as I say not too much I mean are there things you've taken away from all those practices now that you might employ in another shoot or are you hoping that things will obviously go back to normal at some point whatever normal might look like you know I'm very, I'm a very positive person so not not to sound negative but I think the nature of working on a film set I think normal will be a long way off yet but that said as as I've sort of touched upon you know our industry constantly proves itself to be really resilient and nimble and quick to think on our on our feet um, and so I you know I really don't want to sacrifice not the quality of the shows and what we're able to do what I'm interested in is how do we make sure we can do that as safely as possible and still entertain everyone and I think for me and this is a massive part of Unstoppable it's not going to happen where Unstoppable are going to bring you a show that isn't thrilling or exciting or fun or entertaining because for us you know I only need to look out the window and it's quite depressing and it's there's enough rubbish and sadness going on and so for us when we bring you an Unstoppable show we just want you to be entertained and sort of you know have fun or be at least thrilled and excited and so yeah I would definitely want our shows to to lose any of that and and if anything we've got a responsibility in this industry just to push it as much as we can being as safe as we can but just just to keep pushing that sort of uh, yeah the envelope Jason Mazza from Unstoppable Film and TV Nancy Glass is Chief Executive of US Indie Glass Entertainment maker of shows for CNN Animal Planet Discovery HGTV and many more the company's latest series is a four-part premium documentary about Abraham Lincoln's complicated inner world and tragic personal life Lincoln, Divided We Stand debuts on CNN on February the 14th and Glass spoke to Clive Whittingham about making a historical political subject relevant to the present day, the challenges of producing large-scale reenactments amid Covid protocols and being struck by lightning on set. Glass Entertainment Group is located in Pennsylvania and we have 22 shows in production and we do everything from feature documentaries uh, to Snapchat shows and uh, we also have a thriving podcast division. I heard a lot about Pennsylvania over the last couple of months and it is a political documentary that we are um, that we're here to discuss today. Uh, it's Lincoln Divided We Stand. It's new on CNN on February the 14th, Valentine's Night. Why yeah. don't you just give us an, an overview of this project to, to kick us off? Well, it's interesting because when we were thinking of a new documentary series to do for CNN, we wanted to, you always want to tap into something that feels for familiar, but is actually completely unknown. And while there have been, uh, Lincoln is the second most written about person in the history of the world, first being Jesus, most people don't know very much about him. You know, sort of the broad strokes. You may not know that he, I mean, you know, he grew up in a log cabin, but you don't know that his father left him and his sister when they were little, little kids alone for the winter in a dirt floor cabin with nothing to eat while he went out and got 
himself another wife because Lincoln's mother had died. You don't know that his father beat him when he read because he did not want him to be educated. He wanted him to go out and work the fields. And um, to that end, he gave him to other farmers. He, he sold him to other farmers to go out and work. And that's just his childhood. There's so much about him, including the evolution of what made him believe that slavery had to be abolished. It took him a long time to get there. There is a personal connection. You say that uh, he's he's the second most written about uh, person in history. Your husband has written a book. Right? Am I, I right about that on 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 him? Can you is that how you got involved in this? Yes, I'm very lucky. My husband is the executive producer of Inside Edition, but he also writes wonderful books. And he wrote a book called The Last Lincoln. He, well, he lets me do an edit on his books. But one of the anecdotes that stuck out to me was the story that I told to CNN the first time, which was, I start with a question and I'm going to ask you this. Do you think Mary Lincoln was a little nutty, a little crazy? You've got to be, right? Do you, well, that's her reputation that she was a little crazy. So let me tell you a story. She's in Chicago. Um, her husband is dead. Three of her four sons have died. She lives in her widow's weeds and, you know, she's very, very sad and depressed. There's a knock on the door and it is a man she knows. And he says to her, it's an old friend of her husband, late husband. And he says, Mary, you're under arrest and I'm taking you to trial for insanity. So get dressed. And she can't believe it. And she gets dressed and he takes her right from the hotel room to the courtroom where there's already been a jury seated. And the jury consists of the most prominent people in Chicago, people who are there to convict her. The judge is seated. Her lawyer's been chosen. It's a guy she knew from when Abraham was alive. And sitting at the prosecutor's table is the man who swore out the warrant for her arrest, her son, Robert Lincoln. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. I hadn't heard that yeah, before. Because her son was embarrassed by her. So he wanted her to be put away. He was embarrassed by the fact that she complained that she didn't get enough money, that she didn't get enough attention. I mean, she was a pain in the tush. But uh, was she crazy? I don't think so. And she she was uh, sent to a, I wouldn't say in a sanitarium or, yeah. And she got herself out by hiring the the first lady lawyer in the United States. Is that the purpose of this uh, of this series to tell the the sort of the various unknown stories like that? Well, really, it's to to we don't even tell much of Mary's story. The point was to tell CNN in my pitch that there's a whole lot that we don't know, and when you get to do six hours on somebody who's so important to the building of uh, what we have today, you get to. Explain Explore a lot that people don't know. And it's a fascinating and super rich story. Why do this story now? Maybe an obvious question, given everything that's gone on in America, but why is this particular story from history relevant now? You know, I think what's kind of funny about it is we put this into production two years ago. So you could argue that any time is relevant, considering the fact that our political climate is so volatile. Maybe it's important to remember some of the great people who uh, got us to a very, very good place. How do you set it uh, apart from all the various other series, documentaries that have, have been done on this topic? How do you make it unique and different? Uh, well, we have a terrific staff. And, um, you know, it's 
it's kind of fun. If you like to learn, and I'm a lifelong learner, it's really fun putting this together. All of us pick five books and we all read five books on Lincoln. And then we get together and we have like this sort of seminar. What did, what did you find out? What did you find out? So I think, first of all, the research and picking out the narrative, what's worth telling, and then finding the people to tell those stories, the people who spent their lives researching it. Also, the recreations, I have to say, are super beautiful and um, really carry you along. I think it's a well-told story. And Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us lent us his voice and he is fantastic. Can you speak a little bit about the tone of the series? Because I've watched the first episode today. It's it's quite different in tone to a lot of other political documentaries that you, you might see. And does that, I just wonder whether audiences, you, you're wary of maybe politics fatigue, particularly after the last three or four months where people have probably done nothing but watch politics on the news. Is it, was the, think? the tone something that you had to address? Here's the thing. We're not here to lecture. We're here to inform. And so you've got to tell a story well. I just think that what we focus on is telling a story well. We don't have a, an agenda. We don't have a purpose except to inform. You mentioned the recreations. I gather this was shot during, a lot of it was shot during the, the COVID period. Can you talk about the challenges uh, in general and specifically with the recreations with that many people involved, how you went about producing? It was a Herculean effort. We had 150 people on the set. Everybody was tested over and over and over again. We wore masks. We social distanced. I was actually struck by lightning on the set, which is a whole. No- You're making a face at me. No, I was. Okay, should I? T- shall I? T- yeah, you have to tell that story now. Yeah. Okay, so we all decided to do like an Alfred Hitchcock and kind of appear in it in like the recreations, just because we were all so involved in this. I mean, I'm running 22 other projects, but you know, Lincoln. We just loved it as a company. We loved doing it. So I was the woman on a horse, and. Uh, while it sounds, you know, dramatic, the horse was like half dead von Drulistein. I mean, the thing was just foaming at the mouth and barely walking. And it started thundering and lightning. And so they said, you know, union rules, get off the horse and get back to the barn. Take the horse back to the barn, put him in a stall, sit down. Of course, can't stop working. So I put my laptop in my lap. The barn was struck by lightning. Went right through. <laughs> it went through the electrical outlet. It zapped me, it completely zapped me. My hair like stood on end and I was just, I was stunned. It, let me tell you what it feels like to be struck by lightning. You know, you hit your elbow and you, it's like you hit your funny bone. Your whole body feels like that. And of course, the medics come running over and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, but I'm getting HBO on my earrings. And so I was fine. I had a burn mark on my leg because it's called a ground strike when you get struck through something else. And uh, the owner of the barn came out and said, oh, I heard you got struck by lightning. You know, that happens all the time here because we're at the highest point. And if there's a storm and I'm thinking, you don't want to ground the barn. You really want to get the people struck by lightning. But I went right out and bought lottery tickets because I thought, you know, is it struck by lightning winning the lottery? I don't win the lottery. So I'm kind of confused. Feels like something he might have told you before you went and sat in there, to be honest. Yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, thing. But so back to the COVID of it all, uh, we took really, really careful measures besides testing constantly, everybody wearing masks, distance as much as we possibly could. I mean, every meal was individually wrapped, you know, uh, makeup was thrown out after each person used it. And it, let me tell you, it's complicated because, you know, everybody's in costumes and you have to go into a costume area and everybody had different tents to go into. So it was a lot, but nobody got sick. 
tick. And that's really like, we're very grateful for that. Presumably that adds cost and time to a production. Like you say, you originally pitched it two years ago when the world was normal. Do you kind of have to go back to the broadcaster cap in hand and go, this is going to take twice as long and cost twice as much now? Um, yes. But to CNN's credit, they I think they may have even asked us before we asked them. They're really careful and they're really good about that. It's your second, uh, your company's second project for, for CNN. What's the specific differences um, producing series for a news, what is essentially a news network as opposed to, say, History Channel or Discovery Channel or, or a, a factual cable network? I think it's all the same. I mean, you have to, you, you can't distort the truth. You shouldn't put in your own editorial opinion. Um, you want to go for the highest quality. I mean, that's how we always behave. And, you know, we just love this because learning about Lincoln is fun. It's interesting. I mean, if you like to learn, it's great to dig up these facts that people don't know. Was it always going to be um, a CNN project or was it was it shopped around a little bit? The reason I'm asking this is because we're hearing more and more that the the age of being able to shop a project around eight, nine, ten cable nets, the same project, is kind of over or certainly difficult now because they've all gone so specifically into their brands. Like if you have a show that works for eight or nine networks, you don't really have a show anymore. So I'm just, I'm interested whether it was always going to be for CNN or whether this would have fitted somewhere else? You know, we didn't think about somewhere else because when I t- after I told them that story, we hadn't developed anything when I told them the story about Mary Lincoln and their interest is why we developed it and we did develop it for them. We happen to love working for them after we did uh, Pope. I mean, just the quality, the expectation of quality there and the and working with their executives is really great. And it really, they, it really brings out the best in people. Am I, am I right? Is it, is that, that era of taking a show to New York and going around eight or nine pitch meetings with the same show is does that really work anymore no it doesn't work you're absolutely right and the funny thing is you know you they're so specific that that people have thought of every iteration of uh whatever the specific thing is so like one network was only ghosts for a while that's it ghosts so um we came in we had this really insane idea called i had sex with a ghost right? We go in, we pitch it to the executive. She looks at me and says, oh, I hear that 10 times a day. <laughs> and you realize that because, because these networks are so specific that everybody's trying to think of what weird thing can I put into this crazy format? By the way, we have not had a lot of success with ghost networks because it's hard to pitch something without laughing. Um, what effect does that have on um, development costs, development budgets? Because, you know, it's great if, if you can take a show around eight or nine networks, you've got more chance of getting a yes. So presumably at the moment, you're having to develop a lot more with smaller chances of, of getting a yes. So what does that do to development costs for a, for a producer? Well, we've always developed a lot. I mean, we will develop 50 ideas a year at least. What it does is this. We t- do our development now in different steps. So we get an idea and we're, we know the networks well enough that we make a couple of calls before we go any further. And that's, you know, you used to just make a reel and you'd go out and you'd, you know, throw it to everybody, spray and pray. Now, if we have an idea that we think works for history and dis- 
discovery and CNN, we start to we make little calls. And then if one or all of them say, that sounds interesting, then we develop. If they all go, then we don't. And we used to not do that. But as I said, we do develop a lot. And because we're an independent, we don't have to really worry about that budget. We're not reporting to anybody. So we do put a lot into development. Would you say um, that the premium doc space, which this obviously, this project obviously fits in, is that something that you're developing a lot in and, and, and looking at for 2021? Where does it fit in your priorities as a company? It's funny. I don't have that kind of priority, but we do. Uh, we Right now, uh, we have a big music doc and a big crime doc. I mean, I can tell you that much. We develop those. For me, series are, um, you know, series are better for you economically. And our podcast division has grown so much. So that's a priority. But I think, you know, again, we're a company that doesn't specialize in one thing. So if it sells and people like it, then we do it. Like, you know, imagine you're doing Lincoln and at the same time, you're doing five minute episodes with a transgender wig maker for Snapchat with Cardi B, who proudly farts through her whole episode. I mean, you know, we really have a range, which, as I said, is confusing to some people, but feels really right for us. It's about as broad a range of uh, the unscripted genre as there is, I think. <laughs> it's such a broad question and so difficult because we just don't know what the world looks like from one week to the next at the moment. But how as a company are you approaching 2021 vaccines coming down the line? Are you are you optimistic that normality will be restored fairly soon or are you treading like worst case scenario and sort of hope for the best but plan for the worst? What's your approach? Well, that's an interesting one. It's funny because when I uh, when you called, I was um, I was doing notes on the fine cut for a doc we are doing right now for discovery on the on the race to get vaccine. It's a complicated answer in that now with working from home, there are no more serendipitous acts of creativity. You're not walking into somebody in the lunchroom and saying, oh my God, what about this? What about that? There's no conversations, there's appointments. So um, will we go back to having a full office? I suspect we won't. I mean, networks are thinking now that if you were able to cut back to shoot in a more economical way um, during the, this uh, crisis, that you can continue that. So that's interesting. I'm not sure you can plan for what the future will be. I think you just have to be agile. And keep and keep pitching. Keep pitching. I mean, again, we're very, very lucky. But I attribute that to a great staff of people. And I do think it is an advantage to be working out of a small town and people stay. Nancy Glass from Glass Entertainment. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.